Recovery Radio, KMP3, Thousand Oaks. Thank everyone who's been listening. I appreciate it. it. Makes me feel good. Your feedback touches me. Makes me want to do more. So I appreciate it. You can email me at sarcasticbigbook at gmail. And, uh, whether you're listening on iHeartRadio or Spotify or iTunes or wherever it is, thank you. So today I'm going to talk about something that I think about all the time, that I want to talk about all the time, and really it's the information that changed my life. When I was two and a half years sober and um, hanging by a thread and confused and angry and still consumed with myself all day, every day. And while I was going to meetings, while I was working with other people, while I was trying to pray and trying to meditate. And uh, I've, I've had the conversation that contains this information so many times, so many times. And um, whenever it feels like it will be useful, I have it. And a lot of times it doesn't go, it doesn't go in a way that makes me feel like it's useful. And I think there's a couple reasons for that. One of them is that what I'm saying is so simple that the feeling I get when I talk about it with many people is that I'll just be honest, like they're not really hearing me because it's so simple. I I can't, there's gotta be more to it. And I understand that the, my early recovery was filled with conversations like that, where people were saying things to me and I really wasn't listening. I couldn't listen. I was a very bad listener. And I think that's one of the reasons is that it's so simple that it just seems like it's ridiculous. The other reason is that Alcoholics Anonymous and the treatment field in general is so filled with misinformation or I should say, it's so filled with information that conflicts with what the actual text, not the stories, but the actual text of the big book says, 
that kind of up against a lot. I mean, a lot of times I feel like people have to decide right then and there either that everything they've been told and everything they've heard and everything their therapist has told them and everything they've heard in their sober living or heard in meetings is wrong or I'm wrong. So I get it. I'm kind of like a black sheep in my own wonderful AA community that I absolutely love. And I don't care. It's fine. But anyways, the information that I have that I want to share with you that I got from, if you've listened to earlier shows, this gentleman named Mike, who went through the book in a nonlinear fashion by subject instead of by chapter or by step. I mean, it's a lot. It was a comprehensive meeting. The meeting, the the original meetings went on for a year and a half, two years, because there's so much to untangle. There's so much complexity that we have made in the recovery community that there was to untangle, that a lot of people didn't have the patience to go all the way through the meeting. I went through it multiple times. I loved it. But a lot of people just thought, this is, this is bullshit. But I'll get to it. What it comes down to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to explain this in a, in, a, in a condensed fashion and then talk about it much more, like I keep saying. But what it comes down to is, according to the big book, my alcoholism is a twofold malady containing these two things. One of them is I have a physical allergy that I have developed that is permanent and progressive. Permanent and progressive. That's the bodily different, according to the big book. I can never safely drink again. Once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. We are not cured of alcoholism. We are like men who have lost their legs. They never wear new ones. Now, the other part of it is where it's very muddy in AA. The other part of it is the mental part. But according to my understanding that I received through this study, the mental part involves what the founders just called the insanity that precedes the first drink, which takes form in one of three ways. Or all of these ways. But these are the three ways that the insanity of the first drink is explained. One of them is, you know what? I know what's going to happen when I drink again, but fuck it. I'm going to do it. For whatever reason. I deserve it. Things are bad. I don't care. I'm angry. I'm sad. Whatever. Whatever the reason. We say, I know what's going to happen and I'm going to do it anyway. 
back then they said, we don't know what actually to call this, but we're just going to call it plain insanity because it's in the light of your circumstances. That's crazy. Another form is, you know what? It's going to be different. It's going to be different this time. And this time I'll just have a couple or this time I'll control it. And in light of our circumstances, that's crazy too. And the third way that this insanity of the first drink manifests itself is no thought at all. Let's say I go to a place every day for years while I'm sober, no thought of drinking, no thought of drinking, no thought of drinking. At six o'clock, I walk in, no thought of drinking. Six oh one, I'm drinking. Now, according to the book, this is where it gets all, this is where I was confused. Now, we're spiritually sick, too. We have a spiritual malady. But everyone has a spiritual malady. I should say everyone is spiritually sick. Every human being has spiritual sickness. Resentment, fear. Everything that goes along with that. The hundred forms of fear. Now, according to the big book, by working on my spiritual malady, well, the book actually says the spiritual malady will be overcome. Then it says we straighten out mentally and physically. Now, my understanding of this is as follows. If I'm spiritually fit enough, the insanity of the first drink is arrested, and I'm, quote-unquote, restored to sanity. And then the allergy is of no consequence. And that's how it is a day at a time. I have a daily reprieve that's contingent on that. And that's why the book says 16 times we've recovered. If I had a cold last week and now the cold is gone, I wouldn't tell you that I'm recovering from my cold. I've recovered from my cold. Am I cured of the cold? No. Could I get another cold? Absolutely. But I'm not suffering from the cold today. I'm not recovering from my character defects. I have character defects because I'm a human being. I'll always have character defects, and I always have had character defects. And what this information did for me and for a lot of my friends, is really make me realize that, man, I mean, a lot of things, a lot of things. So it starts with, uh, you know, this understanding of what is wrong with me and what's not wrong with me. What makes me an alcoholic and what is human? I've talked to a lot of people about this, like I said, and you know, the conversation starts to go a certain way right about here. And a lot of people will tell me, hey, I already know this. But then I'll hear them share something with me two minutes later saying, you know, they procrastinate because of their disease. Dr. Silkworth, the incredible doctor who wrote The Doctor's Opinion, wrote something called Slips in Human Nature. You could look it up. I don't remember when he wrote it, but 
it was after the big book came out and he's basically saying you know we have to stop blaming alcoholism for everything this is human and he, he talks about it and he says that you know I mean take it or leave it this is the guy who wrote the doctor's opinion but he says, you know, if, if somebody had a heart attack and then they got, you know, this new way to live and they stopped smoking and they ate better and they took care of themselves and then they felt better and then they stopped doing those things, we wouldn't call that cardiac thinking. It's human nature to feel better and then slack off. It's not alcoholism. And he talks about it. He says much more than I'm saying now, but he basically says, reel it in, guys. There was something very powerful about going through the book the way that I went through the book by subject. It was very powerful. Alcoholic thinking has to do with thinking about drinking. What does all this mean? It means that once I have been restored to sanity, a.k.a. recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body, a.k.a. the problem gets removed, a.k.a. I have been relieved of my alcoholism, I am not suffering from my alcoholism. I have the physical allergy but I'm not suffering from that. That's pretty bitching. There's a section in the book that, I mean, there's a section, if you, if you, <laughs> there's a section in the book that says the main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind. And if you look at that whole section carefully and read it carefully, they're saying is what I'm saying now, but they're saying that the physical allergy is not the main, it's not the crux of the problem. The crux of the problem is that I will decide to drink anyway. It would be like if I had a peanut allergy and, you know, I just wouldn't eat peanuts. But the alcoholism version of that is I have a peanut allergy and I can't eat peanuts, but then I'll be saying to myself, well, you know, I'll, I'll have honey roasted this time. Or, I mean, I'll just insist on eating peanuts. But if we work on our human condition, we get restored to sanity a day at a time. And according to the big book, we're relieved of our alcoholism. That's amazing. That's amazing. We'll talk about it a lot, I'm sure. I mean, again, I've, I've talked about this, you know, since 1992, whenever I get a chance. But there's hardly enough time to really untangle it with someone. I've, I've had this meeting, a replica of the meeting that changed my life. I've had it, and I'll have it again. And uh, the same thing always happens when I have this meeting. There's people who come in and... You know, just like the meeting I went to originally, 
they start thinking, well, this is, how do you know all this? Or this can't be right. But it gave me a lot of freedom. And, um, and it really enabled me to hone in on the plot. Now, you could make an argument that nothing that I'm saying is true and that you disagree with all of it. That's fine. A lot of people do. A lot of my friends do. A lot of people who are sober longer than I've been sober have a completely different understanding of all this, and that's fine. It's fine. So this is just my understanding, and this is just my experience and my strength and my hope. The big book says, above everything, we alcoholics must be rid of this selfishness. Before that, it describes selfishness. In the third step, it describes what selfishness looks like for all people. It explains the world, and it describes the world as a stage filled with actors, most of whom want to play the role of director. And they're saying this is the root of practically all the trouble there is. And before I had all this untangled and understood that they're talking about everyone, most people, any life run on self-will, most people, most humans, the words they use in this section. You know, before I had all this untangled, I thought that, you know, I was stuck being more selfish than everyone else. And that's the heart of what I'm saying. Once I learned that I'm not stuck being more selfish than anyone else, it changed my sobriety. Moreover, I have to become less selfish above everything. Not only am I not stuck with being more selfish, but I have to become less selfish. I have to. If I don't continue to perfect and enlarge my spiritual life, the insanity of alcohol will return and I will decide to drink again or I will drink again. And it will look like one of those three things I described earlier. And uh, that was very freeing. I remember I used to go, I used to work very close to my house. It was in walking distance. And it would probably take two minutes to walk there, literally. And I remember before I you know, learned what I'm sharing now, I I would go and I I couldn't get there on time. (laughs) It was two minutes away, but I just couldn't manage my time enough to get there on time. I was there one or two or three or four or five minutes late every day. (laughs) And I thought I was late because I was an alcoholic. I thought that the trouble I had had to do with my alcoholism. And really what it was, was I was terrible at time management. I was lazy. I was a procrastinator. I was self-centered. I, the experience of my employer was not even really on my radar. He was an extension of my needs. He signs my check. 
I want to do what I want to do. I was just selfish. And I didn't really work on it because I didn't really think I had to because I thought I was stuck with it. I didn't think it would ever go away. Or diminish. But once I learned that I've got to work on this, and I can. You know, we 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 praise the promises, what are known as the promises. You know, there's a bunch of promises in the big book, but there's a section in step nine that is known as the promises, and we we hold this in the highest regard. These are just so sacred and so incredible. And one of those promises is. Self-seeking will slip away. We will lose interest in selfish things. I mean, is that just poetry? I mean, hundreds of conversations I've had with people with time who will get offended by what I'm saying. And yeah, but I've, you know, but, you know, they'll say, yeah, but. You know, just holding on to this idea that they're selfish and they have to, you know, yeah, but my disease tells me, you know, and my understanding is that the big book says my disease doesn't tell me anything other than I'm going to drink and I know what will happen or it'll be different and I'm going to drink. My understanding is when when my disease talks to me, that's what it says. So a lot of a lot of people disagree with what I'm saying. I'm just sharing my my understanding. I heard a guy one time at at that at that meeting explain it so beautifully. I, I've tried to I've tried to you know I've tried to repeat what he said many times, but he he said it so well one time, and he was saying that. He took. He had a pair of reading glasses, and he said, "You know, I can't see without my glasses. I need my glasses to be able to read. But my glasses are not the problem. My glasses are the solution." And he was equating this to, you know, our spiritual sickness. I'm spiritually sick, but it's not why I'm alcoholic. If if that was why I was alcoholic, everyone in the world, wouldn't they be alcoholic? I've been friends with a lot of people for a really long time who are not alcoholic. and Believe me, they could use AA and they don't drink. Are they insecure? Are they afraid? Are they resentful? Are they trying to play God? Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Most people do. Most people are. So. That understanding for me. You know, really made all the difference. And Mike used to say. When you really understand what the problem is, according to the big book, the application of the solution works much better. He used to say that a lot. 
And in my case, I found that to be true. So above everything, I've got to be rid of my selfishness. Another way to say that is to use the words that it says in the paragraph right before that, which is describes the world as actors and trying to play the director and says, you know, are not most of us concerned with ourselves, our resentments, or our self-pity? And just think about that right now. Think about everyone you know. Alcoholic, non-alcoholic, everyone. Are not most of the people you know mostly concerned with their own shit? Well, yeah. And then they say above everything, if you're an alcoholic, you can't live that way. It's dangerous. And if you're an alcoholic like me, eventually you'll drink. So it's this endless chiseling away at self-centeredness. Self-centeredness is so sneaky because, you know, selfishness can't see selfishness. I remember when I realized, you know, in in the inventory, it says we're going to look for the three most, you know, we're going to look for three manifestations of selfishness. We're going to look for three manifestations of self. Self, I'm in the foreground. How does self show up in our life most commonly? And then it says resentment, number one. And then the next one is fear. Well, why is fear selfish? Well, because I'm thinking about me. I mean, that's so simple, it's almost impossible to see. But when I'm afraid, I'm thinking of me. I'm not thinking of anyone else. Hey, what's going on? Good morning. Oh, how are you doing? I'm well, I'm going to lead this meeting and I'm afraid. Okay. <laughs> I get it. I get it. I remember the first time I led a meeting. The first time I led a meeting, I was so consumed with myself. And I was so far off the plot. I basically handed out flyers. I basically invited everyone I could, whether you're in the program or not. I mean, the arrogance, the ego, the, I mean, it was just, I was just so, so I invited all these people and, you know, all these people came and, and I had 20 minutes and I identified and then I froze, I froze and I could tell you my whole share because I remember my whole share because this is what it was. Keep coming back. Um, one day at a time. Easy does it. I mean, that was it. I, 
I read the slogans and that's it. I was frozen because I was so because I was because it was about me. And then when I was done, 40 seconds later, you know, you know, the clap started like, wow. My sponsor came up to me. He says, what happened? And I was like, uh, and he said, it's not about you. Just tell the truth. And walked away. So I get it. But I didn't know at that time that I didn't even know I was thinking about myself. I mean, that's how sneaky selfishness is. At that time, I did not. I thought I was thinking of everyone else. I really did. But I wasn't. I was thinking of me. And, you know, it's something that unfolds and unfolds and unfolds and unfolds and unfolds and it doesn't stop unfolding. I see selfishness in myself five days ago today that I did not see five days ago. It just keeps going and going and going. And, um, but, you know, my understanding of the plot is uh, my life was saved for some reason. Now, turn your attention to someone else. What can I contribute? What can I add? You know, it says in the third step, when we sincerely make this decision, that God is going to be the principal, we are going to be his agents, meaning we're going to work for him, and not the other way around. Remarkable things followed. Incredible things happened. Remarkable things. They require a remark. I have to call someone, tell someone. Oh my God, you'll never believe what happened. And more and more we became interested in seeing what we could contribute to life. More and more. Happens over time. But more and more, when we sincerely... I looked up everything that I had. That I, I looked up. I couldn't read. I told you that before. I couldn't read when I got sober. I ended up looking up a lot of words. And when I look up words, um, even if I think I know what they mean, I add the definition to them. They become much more powerful. So sincerely... One of the definitions is with no intent to deceive. So when I make this decision to turn my will and my life over with no intent to deceive, remarkable things follow. And I become more and more interested in seeing what I could add to a relationship, what I could add to a meeting, what I can add to an exchange, what can I add to my job, to a relationship, to a marriage, more and more. Instead of what's in this for me? What am I not getting? How's this affecting me? That's like pre-third step mentality for me. That's me not living in the third step is, you know, how's this affecting me? We had a new employer. Well, if I have a new employer, who's God, as I understand God, then the person who signs my checks is a potential customer. 
pretty cool. So what it comes down to for me now is, I mean, in a nutshell, I, I go through the day and am, am I giving or am I taking? Which side of the counter am I on? Am I, you know, am I thinking of you or am I thinking of me? Am I a customer or am I trying to help? Is this easy? No. So what? It gets easier and easier. It has for me over time. It's gotten easier and easier over time. But it doesn't end. So. It's very freeing to reduce what I need to pay attention to down to a simple concept. I'm thinking of you or I'm thinking of me. I'm afraid right now. I'm thinking of me. I'm resentful. I'm thinking of me. If I'm mad at you, I'm really thinking of me. Thinking of what you did or did not do to me or for me. But I'm in the foreground. That's kind of nice. As opposed to, I have a thousand character defects and I'm always going to be fucked up and I'm a mess and I'm I'm always going to be crazy and I'm always going to be insane and I'm always going to be stupid. I mean, it's, you know, that was the first two and a half years of my sobriety and I was a mess. I was a mess. But it's like, okay. God can remove whatever self-will has blocked you off from him. Okay. That's cool. Normally, when I'm having a conversation like this, at some point, by now, somebody will start to tell me that, you know, this is about being perfect. They're trying to say, I don't know, for some reason, people will hear in what I'm saying that I'm, I'm declaring that, I'm, that I don't make mistakes, that I'm not selfish. I don't fall short of all this all the time. None of that's true. But there are times I can actually listen to someone. There are times I can actually apply a spiritual principle. There are times I could actually get out of self. I mean, it's possible. And a lot of times I just, I get the impression that people believe it's just not possible. They're just stuck. It makes me sad. And it, it drives me to want to help. So how many inventories have I done? I've done, you know, two that I would say are like a four-step. But, I've, you know, the inventories become a way of life. If, I, if I'm uncomfortable for more than a couple days, I'll write it down as if I'm doing a four-step. It's always fascinating. There's always stuff. I'm going to leave you with a, a baseball analogy. If you, if you, if you, if you understand baseball, this is great. If you don't understand baseball, maybe it'll still be helpful, but if you understand baseball, this is just awesome analogy because this is what spiritual 
growth for me can be equated to pretty accurately. So in baseball, somebody's a really good hitter in baseball, like a 300 average is a really amazing batting average in baseball. And what that means is they fail 70% of the time. 70% of the time, they walk back to the dugout having made an out, having failed at their goal, just to get on base. So these incredible hitters fail more often than not. But this is what's so cool. They have two... the. the the 300 hitters have two separate things down. It's not enough to just have one of these two things down. To have both of these things down is super crucial. And here's what they are. One of them is they're going to try to get a hit every time. They're going to try to bat a 1,000. They're going to try to get a hit every single time. They're going to go up. And they're going to try to get a hit every time. Now, if I just had that notion and that was all I had, what would happen is I would very quickly discover that I can't get a hit 100% of the time and I would get frustrated and bored and I would stop trying to get a hit every time. So it's not enough to just have the one. The other thing is this. They know they can't. They know they cannot get a hit 100% of the time. They know it. Now, if I just understood that part and not the other part, I wouldn't try to get a hit every time. Because I would say, well, you know, I can't. It's not possible. So fuck it. So my life spiritually has been like this, where I've tried to have both of these things down. I want to get a hit every time. I want to grow. I want to be out of myself. I want to contribute as much as I can. I want to. And I try to. And the, and I know I can't. I know it. I know that I will usually fail at it. But that's just how it is. So I'm a baseball fan, so I will, you know, recap my days mentally sometimes in terms of baseball. You know, I'll say, well, yesterday I was four for four and I got a home run and I, but I bobbled a routine grounder that like cost my team a couple runs. And then Today, I was one for six with like three errors. But I'm trying to get ahead every time. I'm trying to not make any errors. I'm trying. But that's just part of the game. That's just how it works. Can't do this perfectly all the time. We can't maintain perfect adherence to these principles. It doesn't say we can't achieve perfect adherence to these principles. It says we can't maintain it. You can go four for four. But you're not going to go four for four every day. 
Not indefinitely. Not if you're a human being. I don't think. So that's what it... So I try to get out of myself. I try to be present for other people. That's essentially what that looks like. And I'm asking my higher power, what do you want me to do? Now I try to do that. And on a good day, I'm, you know, during a good week, I, I'll bat 300. So you know the rest. But I'm trying. And uh, gotten better at it over the years. But it never ends, just like I said last week. It was like a whole new level of selfishness that I never saw. Never saw. So just keeps coming. But I keep going up to the plate. So we'll talk much more about this next time. There's a lot more to talk about. I've been talking about this for years. There's a lot here. Anyways, I hope this helps someone. I do. And I am done for the day. And I'm going to go try to live a life that was worth saving. And I hope you do the same. <laughs>